Okay, good morning. Beginning our last week of Maseches Ervin, we are on Daf Tzadik Ches Amid Beis, the Mishnah. Today, Bezat Hashem, we'll learn Daf Tzadik Test, but you can't start in the middle of nowhere. And the Mishnah, about nine, ten lines up from the bottom of Tzadik Ches Amid Beis, says the following. Omed Adam Bershus Hayachid and Metaltel Bershus Harabim. An interesting case. A person is standing in a Shus Hayachid. Let's say, as Rashi explains, let's say he's on a roof and he's patching Metaltel Bershus Harabim. Right? He's patching with like a ball or something, let's say, in the Shus Harabim below. But he's not in the Shus Harabim. Or Bershus Harabim Metaltel Bershus Hayachid. Conversely, right? He's in the Shus Harabim. The object is in the Shus Hayachid. And he's moving the thing around. He's a le- the the uh, Mishnah is saying a person can do that. It implies it could do that totally, as long right as he doesn't move it more than arba amos. What does it mean? Shelo yotzi chutz arba amos is very interesting. Rashi. Yachnisenu etzlo. So let's say he's playing with a ball. This is a big chiddush. We'll see this Mishnah is filled with, uh, with chidushim, in my opinion. As follows. First of all, so you have to, we have to take it slow. We know that there is a malacha of hotza. We've been discussing this now. Masechah Shabbos, Masechah Erevin. So the classic hotza, you would say, is to bring something from Rishus Arabim or Rishus, to Rishus Yachin, vice versa, right? The very first mission in Maseches Shabbos. We know that also Ha'avaras Dalad Amos Rishus Arabim is also the Isser de Oraisa of Hotza. And so if you conceptualize Hotza in Rishus Arabim as taking it out of your own Rishus, in other words, you're standing in Rishus Arabim, the Dalad Amos around you let's say, would be considered your own personal Rishus Hayachid. Okay? So that if you are carrying an object more than Dalad Amos, you've effectively carried it outside of your Rishus Hayachid into Rishus Arabim. That's a way of conceptualizing it. And therefore, even though you are, in fact, outside of the Rishus Arabim the entire time, we're going to call that Hotza. Now, in this case, the amazing thing is, you are in a different Rishus. Let's say you're in Rishus Hayachid. You're moving the object in Rishus Harabim sort of remotely, but you're not moving with the object. So maybe this is how you could conceptualize it, that without you being there, it's not really Hotza, right? Wherever you are, it defines your own Rishus Hayachid. You're just patching with that item outside uh, in the Rishus Harabim, and you're moving it around. Now, obviously, there's not going to be any malacha unless you move it Dalad Amos. Once you move it Dalad Amos, the Gemara is going to discuss, you're either going to be Asa Midaraisa or Midarabonan. But within that Dalad Amos, you're not even going to make a, the, as Rashi explains, we're not even going to make a Gezerah that you're going to pull the ball towards you. Which is actually surprising, right? Because we make so many Gezerahs, we're so careful about so many things. Does anything seem like more likely than the fact that something that you're playing with outside you're going to actually pull towards you and yet that they weren't goes around so i think that that's somewhat surprising but that in fact is the halacha that as long as you're not going to move it it's to move that thing around that's the first clause of the mishnah then following it says as follows 
This is talking about urination into Rishus Harabin. Rishus Harabin, Vyashin, Rishus Hayachid, right? So urinating back and forth uh, from Rishus Harabin into Rishus Hayachid, that you cannot do, okay? V'chein lo yarok. So urinating and spitting is going to be considered similar in this particular case. So in there, we're going to say that you cannot do that. Now, why would that be different? Well, that's different because it's an, let's say the spit, the spit is an actual projectile that's going to actually going to go from one rishus to another, right? This is not a case of where you're actually standing in one rishus and the object is in the other rishus and you're moving it. This is actually a case where the object is emanating from you in your rishus and then actually being projected into the other rishus and therefore that's going to be usher. Why would you think that it's mutter? What's the hava meaning that this thing was going to be mutter? We'll, we'll see in the Gemara. Why would you think that it is not a problem to have a, to project, to have a projectile and to spit from Rishon Sarab to Rishon We are going to see. Now, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, af Perhaps the biggest chiddush of all here is that as once saliva, we're going to discuss this in the Gemara also. Nitlash, technically, as we know from Talash, right? We learned Masech Shabbos. So that means to pluck the fruit off the tree. Once the saliva is no longer, let's say, embedded in your salivary glands, and once it's already been expelled into your mouth, so now you have saliva in your mouth, at that point, you can't walk down almost until you spit it out. Amazing. Meaning... Carrying saliva, collected saliva in your mouth is considered carrying. Wow. So that is probably the biggest chiddush of all in the Mishnah. So the Mishnah. I, I asked the Rabbi Yom Kippur, I'd like, you know, I had some spittle in my mouth. Yeah. Is there allowed to swallow? He said, sure, you're allowed to. Isn't that considered like, you know, your own, uh, you know, liquid? Right. So I would say that with regards to that question of swallowing your own spittle on Yom Kippur, that that's not achila. That's not eating. So that's a good question, though. But but you're bringing up a good point, which is, you know, the spittle in your mouth. Isn't that just part of you? Why would that be considered carrying? So we'll see in the Gemara. Right, so we're going to see in the Gemara. Says the Gemara. So Rav Chinana was talking in front of Rav, and he said, Right? So he said, a person can't stand in Shishayachid and move things in Shishayachid. Well, that's directly in, opposed, in opposition to the Mishnah. So it looked like Rav Chidna was saying in front of Rav something which is the exact opposite. It sounds like he's saying that it's a, it's a Isra Daraisa, as opposed to our Mishnah says that it's Mutter Lagamri to do so. So what's going on? So Amale, so Rav answered Rav Chanina, Chidna rather, Shavakt Rabbanon Vavat Kirabi Meir. Ah. So you, discarded the sheet of the Rabbanon, which is reflected in our Mishnah, and you hold like Rabbi Meir. So apparently this idea in our Mishnah that you could stand in Rosh Yachid, let's say, and move something in Rosh Rabim, that was a machlokas, right? And that machlokas, Rabbi Meir, right, holds that it's Aser, which is what Rav Chirina was quoting, and our Mishnah reflects the view of the Rabbanon, which is that it's Mutter. So as we arrive at Tzadik Tetzamad Aleph, we say the following... Avchirina, why did Avchirina follow Rabbi Meir? Because who sovereign me the safer Rabbi Meir, Rasha Nami, Rabbi Meir. Right? We're going to see this in a few dapim from how this, he, where, where 
preempting the Mishnah, foreshadowing as we sometimes do. And we're saying that over there, he thought that since he knows that the Seifa is there as a Rabbi Meir, he thought that the Rasha would, it was also Rabbi Meir and should also represent his, his, uh, his view. And the Gemara concludes, Velohi, but that's not the case. Seifa, Rabbi Meir, Veresha Rabbanon. No, no, that even though the second part of the mission of the Seifa is Rabbi Meir, the beginning part could be the Rabbanon, and therefore it can be that the Allah is like Rabbanon, and that's in fact how Rav held. Okay. Now let's get into the Mishnah as follows. So what's going on over here? That as long as he doesn't take it out of the Dalamos, says the Gemara, here's the implication of the Mishnah. That if you did actually take, let's say, the tennis ball outside of the four Amos, you're going to be Chayev what? Deoraisa, right? As evidenced by the Chayev Chatos here. Okay, so Lema Misayle Rava, perhaps this idea where you're going to be chayev chatas if you move it out of dalamos it would be um a data point to support rava as follows because what do rava say birnbaum was perplexed by this let's just first explain what it means a person is standing let's say in a mokum tour let's say he's standing um, right on, on a plate or on a platform uh, within a rishus, right in a rishus harabim, and he passes an object over himself. He passes an object over himself from beginning arba to sof arba, which is to say that he passes it at least dalat amos. Rava's shita he'eviro darach alav means he passed it over himself through a malkam p'tur. He's high of midar raisa. What does this mean? So thought maybe it meant like this. Right? That, again, the Isser is Havaris Dalad Amos Bishus Harabim. And so the issue would be like this. We thought that the classic halacha, Isser, of Havaris Dalad Amos Bishus Harabim is Andrew's walking in the Rishus Harabim and holding the object. And so he's taking the object out of his own Rishus, right? Once he's moved more than Dalad Amos from his own private Rishus Hayachad into Rishus Harabim. That's what we thought. And therefore, in the absence of Andrew, the object itself, or in the absence of Andrew walking through Shusarabim, Daladamos, a full Daladamos, the object itself is not going to be, you know, creating an Isser without Andrew actually being there. Uh, so maybe this is what, this is what um, we're thinking is the similarity in Rava, because both in the case of Rava and in the case of where you're not in the actual Rishus as the object is moving, in both cases, let's say you have Daladamos, and out of those Daladamos, like two of those Amos, you were, it was over Malcolm Ptur. So you see that you're lacking, right, the requisite walking Daladamos with the object, right, the entire, traversing the Daladamos the entire length with both you and the object walking through. So perhaps, right, the Sheet of Rava that says that you could traverse a Malcolm Ptur and still the fact that you went Dalad Amos from beginning to end, even though there's a Malkam Ptur in, in, in between, means that you don't have to have a full Dalad Amos of both the individual and the object moving. But as long as at the beginning, at the end, you've arrived and accomplished what, moving an object, Dalad Amos, then you're going to be Chayev. That that is what the Chayev is. But the, but the Gemara is going to say that that's not necessarily a good comparison because in one case, 
the individual is actually standing in, right, is the individual is actually standing in the place, as opposed to in our Mishnah, the individual is totally removed, and the object is simply being moved without the individual being there in the same Rishus. As the Gemara says, Mikitani him hoitzi chayev chatas, did we say that if in fact, in our Mishnah, that if we moved the object, the full Dalat Amos, that you're going to be Chayev Chatas? We didn't. All we said is that if you don't move Dalat Amos, that you're not going to be Chayev at all. That's going to be Mutter Lechatchila. Could be, says the Gemara, Dilma, Imhotzi, Pater Avalaser. It is possible to say that in our case, in our Mishnah, it's not going to be like Rava, who holds that it's an Isidor Raisa, to pass over yourself in a Makam Ptor. But rather, it's going to be a different Allah. It's going to be more Mekil. That when you're in a Rishus moving something in a Rishus Rabim, you're only going to be what? Pater Aval which is a way of saying that it's only going to be Aser Derabanan. Okay? So that's another way of saying maybe you have to be in a Rishus to be Chayev. Right? Like we were saying, that, that would be the case of Rava. Right? In order to be Chayev Havar Rishus maybe you have to be in it. As opposed to our Mishnah, where you're standing in Rosh Hashanah in that particular case, you're all, you're not really going to be ever chayiv for that, but for an Iser Derabanan. That is one version of the discussion that they had about this. Now we're just going to have the other, like, backward sort of discussing it from the other direction, as we often do, as follows. Ika de Amri, some had the following version of that dialogue, as follows. Yeah, we're going to get some Musa, but this is not it. You can tell that this isn't Musa, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you say, Ika de Amri, Hahoitzi Pater Aval Aser. Okay, the Mishnah, we said, the other way of saying it is that the Mishnah, again, the Mishnah was ambiguous. The Mishnah only said that if you're not Motzi, it's Mutter Lagamre. So maybe, so what's the implication? That if you were, if you did move it to Al-Ramas, is it Asa Midar or is it Asa Bonan? So in the first case, we said, well, maybe it's Asa Midar now we're saying, no, maybe it's also Darabanan. And we say, Lema to have it to you to Darava. So then maybe if it is only also Darabanan, it should be, should we say that it is a contradiction, uh, data point against Rava, who holds it to Raisa, the Amarava, Mabi Mitchis, Arba, Sof, Arba, the Vira Darachalav, Chayev, that you're, uh, you're over a Daraisa in the case where you're passing it over yourself. So the Gemara says, no, Mikhtani Hoitsi Pater of Al Asr, Dilma Imoitsi Chayev Chatas. We say, no, maybe the Mishnah, is not implying that it's Pater Avalasar, but rather it's Chayv Chatas. So the Gemara leaves it, um, this open question, because the Mishnah is ambiguous, the Gemara's not sure. The Mishnah says that if you are standing in Rosh high Yachid and moving the object in Rosh Hashanah that you're Pater Lagamre. If you did, that's uh, assuming you didn't move it more than Dalad Amos. If you did move it more than Dalad Amos, would you be Chayv Midoraisa, or would you be Chayv Derabonan? The Gemara entertains both uh, views. Leading to our first Goranowitz moment, that you have to be intellectually honest. And you have to be open to different possibilities. Don't get locked in to one point of view, Goranowitz. All right. Uh, Twelve lines down, two dots. Here we go. Okay, so Amar of Yosef, Hishtin Virak Chayev Chatas. Rabbi Yosef is saying that a person who urinates or spits from one right Rishus to another, you're a Chayev Chatas. You're saying urinating in public? Yeah, you, yeah. You know, I mean, it's a right to do that without a bathroom. Obviously. Right, so, so we're going to see that the spitting in, in those days, right, so that, that might be literally a cultural issue. 
because um, we're going to see in those days uh, by the at the end of this at this Gemara, we're going to see that there are a lot of uh, we're going to see a terrible um, that that spitting in public in front of your Rebbe was considered really terrible, terrible manners, and we have very not nice things to say about that. However, with regards to your nation, to your point, Goranowitz. We don't have something to say that. Now, I'm assuming that urinating in front of your Rebbe would also not be appropriate. We have, uh, we had Gemaras all over Brachos, right, where we were talking about how to go to the bathroom and different ways of, be, of being Tzanua. So whatever is considered culturally acceptable, that would be Kovat uh, Habrios, would be very, very important. But it is certainly clear from these Gemaras that public, so to speak, not necessarily public, but outdoor urination was certainly common, much more so than, than uh, the indoor plumbing we have today, and therefore there were a lot of different ways that they did it in order to do it privately and discreetly and with, with uh, covered embryos. But be that as it may, there, maybe that led to having to go to the edge of town and being in, uh, across some Rishuyos more often than we, than we realize. So be that as it may, we have this idea of uh, spitting in your nation. Let's go with spitting for a second. Says the Gemara. Interesting Shaila. Interesting Shaila. We thought, says the Gemara, that in order to be over on Hotza, you have to start and end on a four Tfachim square. Do you guys remember this from Maseches Shabbos? When we said that we had to have like a, like a solid platform on which to land on. We, we said it then, whether we throw something into a dog's mouth, is that considered a four by four tefach area in order to have a solid platform to land on? So you need to have a solid four by four tefachim launching pad and a solid four by four tefachim landing pad. Veleka, what does it mean, Veleka? Well, you're spitting, let's say, onto the ground. So you're certainly you're spitting it on terra firma. You're spitting it on something that's four by four tefachim. The question is not on where you're spitting it to. Question is where you're spitting it from. Your salivary gland, your mouth, is less than by four or by four tefachim. So what the Gemara is asking is, by definition, your bladder or your mouth are not four by four tefachim. They're not coming from a solid place, and therefore, how are you over havara? That's an interesting question. So the so the the Gemara gives an I think even more interesting answer, which is machshavaso mashvayle makom that your intent makes it a significant area. This is an interesting idea, as follows. In other words, dal by dal tfachim, right? Why do you say that you need to start and end from dal by dal tfachim area? Because it needs to have a certain chashivas, right? It needs to be a specific, like you're picking it up from a specific place and it's landing in, in a specific place. But we say that's in the absence of a specific, right, like mindset, that, but in, but if you have a specific reason why you're picking it up and dropping it off at a specific location, so if you have a specific reason, that would even be better. In other words, dal by dal by tfachim is only in the absence of a real reason why it's coming from one place or another. So, for example, in the case of spitting, the reason why it's coming from your mouth is because that's where the spit is, right? That's a really particular place. Or your nation, so your bladder is a very particular place. So once you have a real reason why it's coming from a, a, that place, you don't need dal by dal at fachim. If you didn't have, if it was just random, so then you need dal by dal at fachim just to justify that location. 
But here, in the case of, right, where it's coming from your body, you don't have to justify your location. Everybody knows why it's coming from there, because that's the only place it could be coming from. Okay. How do we know that this concept, this sort of esoteric concept of the object leaving and arriving on a place of, we'll call, legal significance, says the Gemara, the Ilotema Hachi, Hadamarava, Vzarak, Venach, Bifia Kelev, Bifia Kivshan, Chayev, Chatas. Right? If not so, so then you would not be able to have the Shita of Rava. As we said, that if you throw, let's say, an object into a dog's mouth, or let's say into the opening of a furnace, you're Chayev Chatas. Why? Right? So let's say you're throwing it into a dog's mouth. So if you have a, a, a dog like, um, I don't know what breed it is, but Birnbaum has a dog named Poppy, and he looks a little bit more like a rat. No offense, Poppy. He's a very, very tiny dog, and certainly his mouth is not a dal by dal tfacham area, and yet if you throw it in his mouth, you're going to be chayev midar raisa. How come? He doesn't have dal by dalit, says the Gemara. But your intent, your intent, you had a specific need to, for this object to land in the dog's mouth. Why? You're throwing a treat into his mouth, Right? In order to feed him. So that's literally the landing spot. So hachanami machshava mashvilei makom. So here too, that's in the direct, so that in the dog is the direction of the hanacha. Here it's in the direction of the akira, where it's coming out from. But be that as it may, where, right? In other words, it's landing in a place that's more than dal by dal tfachim. So that's okay. As long as it's coming from a specific place, even if it's less than dal by dal tfachim, that's going to be okay. So I saw the art scroll quotes the Tosfos that says that in other words, if you only want to have a bullseye, right? You're going axe throwing with Andrew and Barry and Goranowitz. So if you're throwing it and your intent is just to hit a bullseye, that's not necessarily, even though that is an intent, right? If, if it was less than a dal by dal tfachim, Andrew doesn't need more dal by dal tfachim bullseye because that's very, very vast for him. He's very, very precise with his axe throwing because he does a two-handed method. But the point is that if you, if it, that intent in itself isn't going to make it Usser, like uh, a significant area. Uh, but what is going to make it, that's what Tosos over here, Machshavasa says, but what is going to make it intent is if you have a hana in it landing in that specific place. So for example, you get a hana from it landing in the dog's mouth, right, because you're feeding the dog or going into the furnace because you need to burn this object. And similarly, when you're spitting or you're urinating, you get the hana because you need to do so. So therefore, that relief is going to be um, the reason that's going to justify that it's coming from a place that's less than dal by dalid, and you're still going to be chayev. And so therefore, our Mishnah, which discusses that topic, can in fact uh, be talking about the chayev of doing so. So, fine. So now, uh, by Rava, Birnbaum thinks that if it was, I don't know what he meant by this, but he, he says if Rav Zeyer had asked this, they would have looked at him sideways in the base medrash. Okay, I don't know why he's picking on Rav Zeyer, but Rava asked an unusual question. By Rava, who bershus ayachad ufi amar bershus harabim? Yeah. Are you seeing his question already? You read it ahead. Oh, that's what, yeah. Okay. So, no, so, of course, we're, we're trying to understand what the, what the Mishnah is saying. And, 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 um, I think you're, you're onto something. We're going to ask a question now that's going to be a teku. And it's a whole, it's a whole discussion. You know, is, is, is Mashiach, teku we say, uh, allegorically, that means Tishbi, right? 
that Yashiv Kushus Vabayas, the Tishvi is going to answer our question. That, that Mashiach is, I don't know, I don't know that the question that we're about to ask is going to be the first question that Mashiach is going to answer. It could also mean that certain questions, once you get to the detail, are, are like we know ahead of time that they're unresolvable or that, that they're, that they're going to remain unresolved. And, uh, and hopefully one day we'll be able to figure out the answer. Oh, so that's a Gorano at Semester moment. The reason you're going to ask questions, even if you don't necessarily know the answer, is because we are, right? What do we do on Leil Seder? We ask, it's supposed to be the, the, the night of Amuna, right? And even though it's the night of Amuna, we're, so you think Amuna means, hey, listen up, kids. Let me tell you how it is and don't ask any questions. That's how a lot of uh, cultures view it. But we are not like that. We say, listen up, kids. Here are all the questions. What do we do, Goranowitz? We encourage them to ask the questions. That's what I was, I heard in the name of Rav Soloveitchik, that he said it is all about asking questions. So we want to ask as many questions as possible. That is how, that's, that, that is how we keep our Masora honest, Goranowitz. Wow. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Bai Rava. Well, this question was, who What if, Right, he was in the Rishus Yachid, and so we were talking about a case where he and right the orifice of his male organ is with him in the Rishus Yachid, and and everything is being expelled out into Rishus Rabim. What if he's in one in the Rishus Yachid, and the tit and the end of his orifice is in is in the Rishus Rabim? Mahu, right? It would be the same question. Let's say you had in the Rishus HaYachid, you had, I think it would be the same question, you had a garden hose, right? And so the garden hose was, you had, you know, the uh, spigot or whatever, it was in the um, Rishus HaYachid, but then the tip of the hose was in the Rishus HaRabim. So then, Mahu, Bosar Akira Azlinan or Bosar Yotzia Azlinan? Do we go based on, right, where you turn the knob for the hose, where the water is actually coming out of, but the water still has to go out through the hose? Or do you judge based on where the tip of the garden hose is. At that point, right, if it's already in Rishus Arabim, maybe you're not going to be chayiv. That's a very interesting question. And the Gemara leaves it as a teku, teku. We don't know exactly what the luck would be there. I think it's a good question. Never be afraid to ask the question, Goranowitz, okay? Uh, I don't think you need to be told that. Okay, two dots in the middle of the page. V'chein lo yoruk Rabbi Yehuda Omer. What's going on here? Oh, so now we're going to get into the topic of spittle, of spit. Saliva. Says the Gemara, What's hipichba? So we're going to see that we have a context, right, where Rabbi Yehuda says that you need to actually collect the saliva and kind of roll around in your mouth, okay, in order for it to be considered an actual item in your mouth that's not part of you. We'll see. That's not. We learned in the Mishnah in Kalim. You're eating uh, a soiled, you had your soiled unwashed hands, and you're eating figs, okay. So this is a pretty disgusting way of eating uh, by our cultural standards. By eating with your hands, your hands are dirty, this is not good for um, sanitary. Uh, and you're kind of like, Cleaning your hands by putting in your mouth. So now you've had saliva. Now, right now, you have, now your fingers have saliva on it. Now, Rabbi Meir Metame, Rabbi Yosi Metaher. What's going on here? Okay. So we know we've already discussed that in order to be, for something to be makabel tuma, it needs to be moistened by one of the Zion Mashkim, by one of the one of the um, right liquids, 
um, that are eligible to make something tummy. And we also know that saliva is considered one of those liquids. So, Rabbi Mayer is saying, you took liquid, you took saliva out of your mouth, and you put it on the figs, and now the figs are mekabel tumah. And Rabbi Yossi, matayr. Whereas Rabbi Yossi says, no, 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 no. That saliva isn't considered like a standalone entity that you just like came out of nowhere, you got it in a vial. That just literally was in your mouth. You put your hand in your mouth and your, and your fingers like are moist from the saliva in your mouth, but that's not considered its own separate entity of a liquid such that it could uh, take away the status of, right, uh, making the food makabal tumah. Rather, that's considered just part of your body at that point. It's not a standalone part of your liquid, you know, unless maybe you spit it out onto your hands. That would be a different story, right? And then you have saliva on your hands, and then you have, a, if you spit enough saliva on your hands, and then you rub the dates with it, then the dates would be makabal tumah, because saliva is, in fact, one of the Zayn Mashkim. But to stick it just in your hand and moist in your mouth and moisten it uh, that way would not be considered uh, Zayn Mashkim because it's still considered part of your body at that point. Okay. So that was the Machalkas or Meir Abiyosi, where the saliva in your mouth is considered its own separate entity. Rabbi Yehuda, however, distinguishes. This is, notice our mission is Rabbi Yehuda. What does Rabbi Yehuda say in the mission of Kalim? Rabbi Yehuda, Omer, tome, lo Right? He makes the following distinction. If you're swirling the saliva around in your mouth, so by that point, you've, you've sort of uh, detached it from your salivary glands. It's no longer part of you. Right, and therefore that's going to be considered saliva that is independent of you, and it's going to be matame, as opposed to if you just kind of had it collected in your mouth and you had not yet swirled it around, then it's part of your mouth, and then and and then if you just stick your hand in your mouth and moisten it with that saliva, so that saliva would not be matame the uh, food, the figs, and that would be tahor. So Rebuta is making that distinction. Well, that's a contradiction to our Mishnah, because in our Mishnah. Rabbi Yehuda said unequivocally that you can't walk around with saliva in your mouth. He didn't say that, that you can't walk with saliva in your mouth and uh, only if you hipichba, but if you weren't mehapichba that you can, right? That, that was Rabbi Yehuda in our Mishnah. So does Rabbi Yehuda hold of this, that saliva is part of you and you can carry it um, before you swirl it in your mouth or not? So how, do, how does he hold? So the Gemara is going to say as following. Amar Yochanan, amazingly, Muchlefet Hashita. Now, Muchlefet Hashita usually means that we have the wrong name attached to the wrong Shita. But Rashi explains it's not exactly the case here. Muchlefet Hashita here, Rashi explains, Hichlef of Yehuda Shitaso, Biyatza Himena. So our school explains that, um, that initially Rabbi Yehuda held like he did in our Mishnah, that in our Mishnah, that the saliva is part of you. Uh, I'm sorry, that's the saliva even before you twirl it in your mouth. It's considered independent, such that you can't even carry saliva that's collecting in your mouth uh, before you twirl it. And then he changed his mind, says Rashi. That that's the first suggestion that Rabbi Yochanan, uh, the great Gadol from Eretz Yisrael, said. The first suggestion was that initially he thought that the saliva was uh, not part of you, no matter what. And then over time, he said that he gave his shita and kalim and changed his own shita and gave his shita and kalim. Fine. Rishlakish said, no, 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 no. You don't change Rabbi Huda's shita on this. He was consistent throughout his life on a shita with, regarding to, with regards to saliva. However, what are we dealing with here in the Mishnah? Not with a person's saliva, but with his phlegm. In other words, our Mishnah here in Erevin is talking about phlegm, 
And the Mishnah and Kalim is talking about regular saliva. And that makes sense, right? Because phlegm is more substantial. And therefore, if you're carrying around phlegm in your mouth, or as Gerardo would say, spittle, so that is not part of you. Phlegm is not part of you. And phlegm is therefore, uh, you're not allowed to carry it according to Rabbi Huda, whether you swirl it in your mouth or you twirl it or any kind of thing that you're doing in your mouth, that's going to be not part of you and therefore it's always going to be high of carrying. As opposed to just um, more, more viscous sort of liquid saliva. So there, that's where he's going to make the distinction in Masechus Kalim between whether you twirl it in your mouth or not. Now that's Rish Lakish's explanation. But the Gemara says, is that really so bad, Tanya? We learned in Brisa, collect in your mouth, you can't walk in Rishus Rabim. My love broke vinitlash. In other words, right? In the Brisa, he says, kicho vinitlash, that phlegm. So in our mission, what does he say? Vinitlash, Rabbi Omer, af mission nitlash roko befiv. So the word nitlash, that it's been what? It's been separated from you, is used in the context of spit in our, in our, um, in our Mishnah. So the point is, since you use the word nitlash for spit, just like you use the word um, nitlash for phlegm in the Brisa, sounds like Rabbi Yehuda would hold that spit and phlegm are physically similar in the sense that once they are in your mouth, they're considered detached from you. And therefore, right, the Gemara is saying this idea that, that phlegm would be considered more detached than saliva isn't borne out by the fact that Rabbi Huda is in fact using the word vinitlash in our Mishnah. The fact that he's using the word vinitlash in our Mishnah with regards to spit implies that he holds that it has similar properties to phlegm in the sense that is not considered part of you once it is separated from you in your mouth. So the Gemara defends Rishlokish. She said, no, no, no. When it says Vinitlash, she says, lo, kicho Vinitlash. That Brisa is only referring to phlegm, but saliva would not be considered uh, a part of you, uh, would not be considered separated from you, rather, until it's swirled. Like, as opposed to phlegm that is always separate from you, saliva would need to be swirled to be considered separate of you. But the Gemara challenges it again. I have uh-oh. Here, Rabbi Huda is going to say it explicitly. Rabbi Huda, Amer, Kicho Shenitlash, Vechein, Roko Shenitlash. Uh-oh. So, just like phlegm is not part of you, so too spit is not part of you. So now we have, now we have Rabbi Huda cornered here, right? It sounds like, Kicho Shenitlash, Vechein, Roko Shenitlash, Lo Yehalech, Arba Amos Ad Shiyarok. So we see that Rabbi Huda is saying that it's considered, once it's in your mouth, it's considered separate from you. And therefore, whether it's phlegm or whether it's saliva, it's already considered separate from you. And now we're in trouble because that is not a distinction that we had in Masechus Kalim. Masechus Kalim, we said that you have to twirl it in your mouth in order to, for it to be considered separate from you. So why is it that in the Mishnah, you, we are saying that saliva and phlegm both are considered to be separate from you, regardless of whether you twirl it in your mouth? So the Gemara is forced at that point to say, Ela machvarta meikara, which is actually explains that we have to go back to the first explanation, which is that Rabbi Huda actually did change his mind throughout his lifetime, that initially when he taught our Mishnah, he thought that there was no distinction between whether you twirled it or not. And then later on, when we learned Mishnah and Kalim, he did in fact change his mind. And he said that saliva is only considered detached from you once it is 
um, once you twirl it in your mouth. Now, as advertised, Goranowitz, we now tell a story. Like Goranowitz said, he starts hearing about spitting and urination, all these things. He says, Are, "Is this really appropriate?" So the 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 Gemara is going to address that issue. Right? It's not always uh, appropriate. Context is important. Amarish Lakish, the aforementioned Rish Lakish, tells the following story. Or the following idea. Wow. If you cough up phlegm, right? In high school, we used to call that hawking a loogie. I don't really know where the der- derivation is that from. But anyway, hawking up phlegm is chayev der rice if you do it in front of your rabbi. Shanamar kol mis anai ahavu mavis. Wow. All those who hate me, meaning the Torah in that context, love death. Wow. That's very, very intense. Where's that pasuk from? Uh, not to Hillam, it's Mishle. Sometimes I play with, with Birnbaum, guess where it's from. This is from Mishle. Atikri Misanai, right? It shouldn't say Misanai, Ela Masniai. This is, right, change, sort of like playing with the grammar to say, not those who hate me, but those who cause others to hate me. How would people cause others to hate them? Very big around what's Mr. Moment. If people act, Right, if a person is a Tom Chacham Goranowitz, a firm person who acts in a vulgar manner that doesn't that makes people uncomfortable, that is causing the Torah to be hated because it makes a poor impression, and therefore those people love death, as the pasuk says in Mishlei. A person should always be careful to act in a way appropriate for a Tom Chacham for a Ben Torah um, all the time in order to give the Torah a good name. Otherwise, it's a Chil Hashem. So that is what the Pasuk says. So what is that saying? It's saying that's how a person re- is acting when they spit in front of the Rebbe. That is not appropriate. So the Gemara says, ah, In those days, culturally, that was considered honest. In other words, if you have phlegm in your mouth, what are you supposed to do? You have to spit it out. You can't just swallow it. Ew. So the Gemara answers, Kiach virak Yeah, we were discussing where he coughed the phlegm in his mouth. So it's not just like uh, swallowing your saliva, which everyone always does. You have to do that. And therefore, if it was just saliva, he could have swallowed it. He didn't have to spit it out, right? That's just when you're in the dugout in baseball, you're spitting out stuff all the time. But it, but when you're talking about actual what coughed up phlegm, so then you go over to the corner and spit it and spit it out to the side. You don't have to spit it out in front of your teacher, right? Um, and therefore, if you spit it out in front of your teacher, it means you're not sensitive enough, right, to the dignity of the, of the teacher, to the dignity of the moment, and and therefore that is why the Pusik is so harsh in that regard. So we should always be careful to be as respectable as possible. I tell this to Andrew every day, and I've, I've seen incremental improvement, Andrew. So for that, I have to give credit where it's due. Okay. Mishnah towards the bottom of Tzadik Tessamadov. A person shouldn't stand in Rishus Yachid and what? Drink in Rishus Harabim. We're going to see how that works. Rishus Harabim v'yishter Rishus Yachid. And he can't stand in Rishus Harabim. And bend, for, and bend forward and drink in Rosh Hashayachid. Ela imkein hichnis roshiv v'rubo l'bakom sh'rushosei v'chein begath. We saw this in a different context in Masechet. I think it was Brachos. Um, but it could have been Shabbos. Anyways, uh, the gat, the wine press. Okay? So we're going to see. Now I'm almost sure. Okay, so, so we'll see. The wine press. So what's this idea of not being able to drink from one or the other? Well, you drink in Rosh Hashayachid Right, but if most of your head, where else do we see this? The Masechah Sukkah, right? If most of your head and most of your body 
is in the place where you're going to, going to drink. So this is in contrast with the previous Mishnah. In the previous Mishnah, you're potchking, let's say, with a tennis ball. We don't have any, any concern, amazingly, that you're going to draw it closer to you, right? With the object, you're going to draw into whatever issues you're in. But with drinking, certainly, we're concerned that wherever you are, you're eventually going to bring that drink into that Rishus. So that if you're mostly in the Rishus where the drink is, then that's okay. But if most of you is, let's say, on the outside and drinks on the inside, we are, in fact, concerned you're going to move the drink and we're not going to let you drink in that way. Okay. So the Gemara says, Resha Rabbanon, the Sefer Rabbi Meir, right? It sounds like we have a contradiction between the, our Mishnah and the previous Mishnah, right? Because Rabbi Meir says, it's Aser. And Rabbanon said, right, it's Mutter. So which is it? So, so, so the Gemara says, no. Amar Yosef, Now, this Mishnah is actually everyone's going to agree with, right? Because what? It's an object that you need. In other words, a tennis ball that you're just potchking with, you don't need it. And that's why we could have a machlokis for Rimeir and Rabbanon about whether, in fact, you're going to be drawing it towards you. However, the water fountain and you're, and you're, and you're very thirsty, even the Rabbanon are going to agree that it's going to be an Isra, at least an Isra de Rabbanon, um, to be in a different domain than where you're drinking from because you're going to be drawn by it. Four lines up and bottomy by Lu, Carmelis Mai. Now that halacha up until now we'll be talking about Rishus Yachid and Rishus Rabbim. What about a Rishus Yachid and a Carmelis or Rishus Rabbim and a Carmelis? Amar Abaye he he. It's the same halacha. So Amar he gufa gazera, but Carmelis itself is a gazera, right? We know that a Carmelis that typically that midaraisa you only have Rishus Rabbim and Rishus Yachid, and a Carmelis itself is a rabbanan domain. And what? We're going to make a gzeir like a gzeir on this? Where do I know my Allah? From the Mishnah taught, as we arrive at begat. This is what we learned with regards to the wine press. In other words, the wine press now we're going to use as an example of a Carmelis, right? Because the wine press over there, right? It's not a Rishus HaYachid because it's a wine press, right? It's like a factory. And it's not a Rishusa Rabim because it's not, it doesn't have that kind of traffic. So therefore the wine press is a Carmelist. That's what we were trying to teach in the Mishnah. By saying Vechein Begas, that's Gufa what the Mishnah was trying to teach you. That, it, that it's Usr in a Carmelist as well. As following. Says, but Rava says no. Rava Amar Le'inyan In other words, the reason we're saying now that the Mishnah brought up the idea of drinking in a Gas was to teach you this very idea. That you're not allowed to move from Rishus Rabim or Rishus Yachid to Carmelis and vice versa, because that's what a Gat is. Rava is saying now that no, that we learned the Gas not to teach you that, but teach you a totally different thing, which is what the Indian Meiser, right? And this is what Rishus also said: that the reason of Gas was not to teach you anything with respect to Carmelis, but with respect to the halacha of Meiser. What's going on here with Meiser? It's not like we learned in Mishnah Meisers. Shoisin al Gas. Right, you could drink over the gas. And we said before, as you know, in those days the wine was mixed with water. Now, if you mixed the wine with cold water, you could always pour it back into the gas, right? And that would be okay because it wouldn't ruin the wine. If you mixed it with hot water, then you, that would ruin the wine if you poured it back. So then you're not going to be pouring that back in. But, but be that as it may, Rameer says that you can do that, you can drink by the God regardless. Okay, I do, I, I'm almost sure this was, uh, when we learned this before, we did learn it before, I think it was in Brachos, a different context. Rabbi Yezer Bar Tzadok Machayev. Rabbi Yezer Bar Tzadok says 
Now, the fact that you're diluting the, the wine in itself makes it a formal way of drinking. And therefore, already, that's considered totally, uh, totally drinking. What's going on here? Well, we know that it's the idea of right, bringing Meiser for wine, right, separating it out, at some point, it's considered, right, snack, just like we know that with regards to the grains, if you're snacking and you didn't have Rias Padea Bias yet, you're allowed to snack right in the fields and you don't have to take off Meiser yet, right? Similarly, if you're still drinking while the wine is in the wine press, you don't have to take off Meiser yet. But the question is, at what point do you have to take off Meiser? So the answer to is going to say, already, this is considered drinking where you have to take off Meiser. That again, that the Chachamim are going to split it up. They're going to say, if you're mixing it with hot water, so then you've done an irreversible mixture and you've prepared the wine in such a way, you're never going to pour it back in the barrel. So now you're already going to be Chayev Meiser. As opposed to if you mix it with cold water, maybe you're going to pour back whatever remains and therefore you're not going to be Chayev Meiser. Okay. But be that as it may, our Mishnah, right, supports Rabbi Meir here. Because our Mishnah is going to say that you're allowed to drink, right, the, the, the wine al-hagas, right, while it's still untied. That is what Rabbi Meir is saying. And therefore, since that's what our Mishnah is talking about, it's also talking about the idea that, you can, that you're going to be chayev in a Carmelis, and it supports the idea of he-he, that, that it's the same halacha, that, that whether it's in a Carmelis, or whether it's just a rabbim, it's going to be the same halacha. Okay. The next Mishnah, call it Adam min tfachim. A person standing in a rabbim can catch water in, in the air, right? That's falling from a gutter, right? The gutter is less than 10 tfachim from the ground. And you can drink in any manner from a drain pipe. And this is, this is water that's coming up, right? From above 10 tfachim, right? So the question here is, how do you, how do you navigate the airspace? We're going to see what's going on here as follows. Says the Gemara, call it in of al flow. That catching water in midair is going to be mutter, but pressing your mouth to the gutter is not. Why? My time. Arav Nachman, hacha b'mazchila pachos mishlosha samach lagaga skinan. Ah. We're talking about, ah, we, we finally get to Andrew's three tvachim of lovud. So let's say the roof, for argument's sake, is ten tvachim high. So anything above that is going to be what? Remember, Rishus Rabbim only extends ten tvachim high. So, however, let's say you have a gutter that's only nine fachim high. Now it's in the Rishasarabim. However, dami. An interesting case, right? It's between seven and ten fachim high, which means it's within three fachim of the roof. Therefore, the roof is considered Rishasayachim. And the gutter, even though it's already in Rishasarabim, the roof is Rishasayachim because it's on top of Rishasayachim and it's also above the so you would think anything from the roof that, that goes down that's above Tetfachim would be okay. However, in this particular case, the gutter is below Tetfachim. But what? It's within three Tetfachim of the roof. Therefore, it's considered to have the same halacha as the roof. And therefore, as long as it's within three Tetfachim of the roof, we, use, we evoke the principle of lavud, And we say from that principle of lavud that you, in fact, are not bringing it down to Rosh Hashanah, but still in the Rosh Hashanah. As long as you don't press your hand against the wall, right, at that height to collect the water, it's going to be considered within three trochim of the roof, and it's going to have the status of the roof itself. Okay? And that b'risa basically just supports what we just said. Now we're going to bring another b'risa to support again. Same exact concept, Tanya Idach, 
Lift your hand more than a sartfachim. Right, you can't go to a spot less than three tfachim from the higher roof, right, and press your hand against the wall, but you can catch the water, right, as it falls through the air at that point and drink it. However, finally, the Mishnah quotes the last piece of the, the Gemara quotes the last piece of the Mishnah. Why can you drink in any matter from the drain pipe? So he says, Tana, if the pipe is four by four tfachim, as we said before, so then you can't drink because as we said before, once it's dal by dal tfachim, that's considered its own right status of a carmelis. It's considered its own rishus. However, if it's less than four tfachim, then certainly wherever it came from, it's considered to be in the same domain, and therefore drinking from the other end of it is considered not drinking from a separate domain. And so we've arrived at the Mishnah in the middle of Tzadik Testament Beis. As Andrew says, this is the, one of the best Amr and a half Yomi Shir uh, he's been to. Uh, we, when we come back for Psachim, we will be doing full, full, full block. And so Zalman Dov, we're in the Mishnah in the middle of Tatsalam Beis. Um, and Bezat Hashem will be in touch about the finishing of Masechas Ervin and the beginning of Masechah Psachim. Habal Ein Betaiva.